0: you're listening to behind the experience with sense group where your host mark benedict speaks to forward-thinking leaders marketers and innovators about
1: the current state and future of brand experiences
0: thanks for tuning in to behind the experience i'm your host mark benedict co-founder and director of sense group here in sydney and we're doing things a little bit differently at the moment. As you all well know, the event and, and brand experience industry has seen a complete disruption from the current health crisis. And while this has shaken up the industry a little bit, it's also a really good opportunity for innovation and positive change. So at the moment, uh, we're curating a toolkit to help brands come out the other side of the crisis stronger than before. And today, I'm really excited to talk to you about uh, Today about um, a guest today's guest, Kristen Berman is a behavioral scientist based out of San Francisco. She co-founded Irrational Labs in 2013, a behavioral behavioral research and consulting company, and she's the co-founder and principal at Common Sense Lab, a Duke University initiative dedicated to improving the financial well-being for low to middle Americans. And was a member of the founding team for the Behavioral Economics Group at Google and has previously hosted uh, one of the top behavioural change conferences globally, Startuponomics. Uh, Kristen has also co-authored a series of workbooks with Dan Ariely called Hacking Human Nature for Good, A Practical Guide to Changing Behaviour. That's a lot of uh, that's a lot of uh, things to get through there, Kristen. How are you?
1: Good, thanks for having me. Great to be here.
0: Pleasure, pleasure. Well, thanks for coming on and, and spending the time today. Um, we came into contact with you through some of your interesting work and, and had a look at the, the work you're doing with the Rational Labs and we particularly thought it would be really good to talk to, to someone like yourself who, who works really heavily in researching and understanding human behaviour and and this is obviously a, a massive change going on in the world at the moment with, with corona and what businesses and, and people are going to be doing on or during and also I guess after this, this passes. Um, do you wanna give us a bit of a background just on exactly what a behavioral scientist does or economist does just for some of the people who maybe don't, don't realize the kind of work that you, you do in that kind of a field?
1: Sure, of course. Um, so behavioral economics is basically called the science of decision-making. Um, kind of in a typical economics world, we make decisions based purely on utility or time and money and we're really rational. So you can imagine if you buy a cup of coffee for $3, uh, the rational person thinks about all the places that that $3 could otherwise have been used and then makes a decision to buy the coffee. Um, More likely than not, that's not how most of us make our decisions to buy coffee or not. We just get up in the morning and we see if the line is too long. Um, And so we take these decision shortcuts all the time. Um, And the behavioral economics world basically studies those kinds of decision shortcuts that we take. Um, And many times um, these, the finding is that we're influenced by what we say is the environment of decision-making. So how something is designed, um, you know, if the um, kind of what's going on in our environment may have more impact than the attitudes and beliefs. So, I may really love the coffee, but if the line is too long, or, or maybe actually if there is no line at the coffee shop, because it implies nobody else likes the coffee, I may not go in. Um, so the field of behavioral economics studies these types of decisions, and then we make uh, or try to make small tweaks in the environment to help people behave in the way that they um, ideally want to behave. So if you want to save money, try to get you to save more. If you want to eat healthy, try to get you to eat more or not eat more, <laughs> eat less. <lots.
0: laughs> it's it's well, it's an interesting, interesting dynamic because you're dealing with people who are who probably consider themselves to be quite rational, but but their behaviors and their actions probably say something totally the opposite. Do you, do you sort of find patterns in there? Are there a set of rules to go by which seem to work in most cases, or is every kind of challenge or problem you deal with starting from a clean slate?
1: Um, a little bit of both. So uh, basically most, you know, kind of the, the main premise of, of this uh, field is that the environment impacts our decision-making. So most of the times we do end up studying the environment of decision-making and uh, in in every small detail to figure out how uh, to change it. But there are a few principles. So um, more often than not, people take the path of least resistance, which means um, we kind of do the easiest thing. Uh, It doesn't mean we're lazy. It just means we're basically Kind of, you know, we're we're very busy people. Lot of, lots on our mind, a lot of things to pay attention to, and so we're looking for kind of the path of least resistance. So you can imagine, sure. if it's hard, we won't do it. If it's easy, we may do it. Um, and that's kind of one of one of the main very simple principles that drives the field.
0: That makes sense. I think that would make sense for most people for sure.
1: Yeah, it doesn't it? Doesn't mean anything about, um, you know, we can like design something that everybody loves and really likes. Um, but if it's too difficult to do, and by the way, by too difficult, I mean, you know, just an empty field that you ask people to to fill in, like our level of attempting to take the path of least resistance is always is probably one of the more surprising things that I see every day that that humans do. And, and I'm, you know, acutely aware of it. Um, so you can never make things uh, easy enough for us.
0: Do you find that happens for yourself? Are you more aware than the average uh, person? Do you think working in the field or do you, do you find yourself or catch yourself doing those things as well?
1: Um, no, I mean, that's that's kind of um, the beauty of it. I, I do. So um, most of our decisions are made quickly. We're uh, emotional beings and we're making a very quick decisions. So, I, you know, as much as I know about decision making, I still make mistakes. Um, kind of the opportunity to that I have kind of knowing that mistakes are made is when I can slow down and think about the decision and take a minute um, and weigh the options. And and I think that's, you know, we think about small and big decisions and we're, it's hard to intervene at small decisions. You know, what type of um, camera do you want to buy? What type of iPhone do you want to buy? Maybe smaller decisions where we're making them based on emotion and heuristics. You know, what kind of job I want, do I marry? What house do I buy? All of those are bigger decisions and we have more time.
0: Yeah, I guess I mean, that makes sense. There's, there's decisions that really cross the spectrum of time, I guess, you know, from longer term to, to short term in the moment. Um, I mean, across the world right now, you know, there's all sorts of things going on in business and change and probably more the change than most people have ever experienced before in their lifetimes. I mean, what, what do you see as some of the you know opportunities or even challenges right now for For individuals or for brands, as we sort of working through this pandemic or coming out the other side, what what are some of the things you think uh, might might really change or might be different to the way things have been previously
1: yeah great great question so um basically um, you know as going back the premise of behavioral science is that our environment can change behavior and um, you know, other than that, it's very difficult. It's very difficult to pick up a new habit. If anyone's tried meditating, they may, they may understand this uh, very closely. But uh, it's very difficult, except if you change your environment. And I think the opportunity for companies and brands and, and people um, is to take advantage of what's happening right now, which is we're all changing our environments. You know, We're staying at home and, and working from home. We're um, you know we, we aren't going out to eat as much. We're looking at our finances in a different way. Um, So that is really the time for behavior change. Um, There was a nice study done that looked at uh, people right after they relocated, right after they moved, and um, tried to nudge them to do some specific behaviors. This was around sustainability, getting you to turn off the lights, um, maybe walk instead of take a car. Um, And what they found is that people were most receptive to those nudges within three months of moving. Um, with the, they, okay. they compared people who didn't move to people who did move and then track them over time. Um, and the thought is you're, when you move you really change your environment, you're changing it up. Uh, most of life is, is very similar. So I think in COVID times, um, I think brands can really understand that they can talk to their customers differently. Um, people may be much more receptive to change and to trying something new, doing something different than we've ever been before.
0: So, do you think that there is, I guess, almost a a window of a sort of mental availability where there's that opportunity to 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 create habit change or or change p- purchasing decisions when it comes to brands or things like that? Or can we create those windows? Do you think for people?
1: Um, I, you know, I think we can help create those windows for people, but but I think what we, what's happening right now in COVID is is a is a real window where um we're much more open to doing things differently because um you know our, our whole lives are shaken up uh and so i think there's a real opportunity right now to do it but then when people kind of come back online um they're also going to be going back to this you know a, maybe a different environment whether they've changed jobs or they've um ch- changed the routines with their families given the last uh the last few months um so I think when people come back is also a time to realize that routines are changing, habits are changing, um and we may be more open um to new things that we would not have otherwise said yes to.
0: Yeah, there's I mean there's a lot of debate I think out there at the moment too as to how the whole working uh, environment is going to to be post post are a lot of people going to be still working from home, you know what what's the employee experience working for companies, you know how do we instill that company culture within within people working for the company if a lot more are working uh away from you know the typical office space i mean how, how do you think that's all going to play out because i think you know part of our company here in, in where we're based in sydney is that we're obviously we're a creative company and we're building brand experiences for for for, for corporates and a lot of that energy and that sort of incidental conversation that happens around the water cooler and, and that creative chit chat is, is part of the way in which we build ideas and solutions so it's interesting to me I guess as it, within my own business how how we might be able to sort of maintain and facilitate that um, if we stick with a model which is you know part could be part office or, or part from home or a lot more at home work or yeah I'm, I'm interested to know what your thoughts are on that and whether you think this is a habit that might stick ultimately for for business is it going to be a potentially a, still a successful model for a lot of businesses
1: yeah i i may have a contrarian viewpoint here i think i think the answer we'd like to hear is um we can make it work by by working in our you know working remotely has its own benefits and uh we we can improve on it and and still maintain creativity and and relationships i think that'll be very tough um to maintain this remote work environment and still have the level of uh relationships maybe needed and accountability needed to um to really be um i think happy uh, at work i'll I'll give you a few examples um maybe not a few examples but the idea of um in personal habit change uh we all kind of probably acknowledge it's difficult right you may want to, as I said, meditate, or you may want to eat better. You may want to run every day, and uh, more likely than not, you've we've all struggled with that. Um, work is fascinating in that we take on really big projects and we take on tasks every day, and more more often than not, we don't struggle. <laughs> like we get crazy amount of stuff done, you know, launch big projects, put on big events. Um, and it's, it's not like you kind of go into the office and say, you know, I just kind of didn't want to do that today. And I, I kind of forgot. <laughs> so there's
0: yes, yeah.
1: really special about working with other people uh, and having that public visibility of our behavior um, that going into a workplace really does for us. And I think it's sure it's achievable in remote work, but it's really special when you're working amongst a group of people, doing something together. Everybody's holding each other accountable for pretty big, hairy, audacious goals. Um, and one of the reasons you can reach them is because you know you feel really bad if you let your teammate down and, and you really want to kind of work hard together with them. So yeah, I worry about uh, moving to fully remote. We lose some of that special sauce of, of what makes it easy to get work done uh, and move more into the private sector, which is you know we all struggle with personal habits. We don't really want to struggle with our work in that same way
0: yeah yeah i mean i i i think there's a there's a tendency part of me i think definitely agrees with you on that one i think the just knowing the way that it works within our space and 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 the way uh you do need that energy from people and what that works in all sorts of different ways you know uh, you know as a company we've been having virtual drinks on a, on a thursday and it's it's great and it's awesome to catch up with people but you imagine the difference between that and and say being down at the local bar or pub there is a a need for people to have human contact and there's sort of a i guess there's an energy that you don't you just don't get digitally and that's that's one component of it and then the other component you're talking about there is just that sort of accountability and and sort of that social um pressure almost i guess that that encourages people to get things done that maybe they wouldn't be able to, to sort of discipline themselves to do otherwise. I think that's an interesting, I think it would be interesting to look at, say, some of the industries that have successfully worked off a, um, a work from home model and see the kinds of things and tools that they're putting in place or how they get around some of those challenges. I think there's going to be a lot of people out there thinking about this at the moment uh, and wondering, you know, will it, will it work? Um, what, what, what do you think as well about, I guess, some of the things that people, other things that people might need to be thinking about, maybe, maybe from maybe a brand perspective might be good to think about. What are the kind of things do you think brands are going to need to um, think about when they're talking to their consumers or their audiences um, coming out the back of this? I know you mentioned before there's a window for these brands to be able to to talk to people in a different way. Is it going to be a more empathetic approach or... What, what what do you think uh, for, from from your sort of point of view is going to be important for brands to think about?
1: Yeah, it, it's hard to say generally for all brands. I think I think playing off this point that, that people are maybe in a different mindset, um, we use the word mental model. P- people probably had a mental model of what the brand meant, uh, how it works, the relationship to it. And I think the opportunity is for the brand to assess what that is and then figure out if they want to change it because kind of now is the time. um now is the time to to change it if it's um if there ever was one because people are kind of saying okay my life has changed um and, and I'm, i could be open to re-establishing a new relationship with a with a brand um, mm-hmm. so so what that could look like is kind of relaunching something or reinventing yourself or renaming something, getting people to kind of really uh, re meet you in a different way because their minds are, are more open. Um, I think that's and, yep. and tactically, that's looking at your old mental model and seeing how it could change. Um, Dan Ariely um, who's a professor at Duke and, and we've done a lot of work together um, started this insurance company that uh, is called lemonade. And um it's, right. it's fairly popular, uh, but one of the things that they really did is say, "What is the model of insurance companies? What's the mental model of insurance companies?" And you know, after looking internally, <laughs> and and we all may know this, we don't trust them as much as we trust other types of companies. We think they may be, if you submit a claim, maybe it won't get approved. There's a lot of work, um, and so they said, "How would we change that mental model?" And they released, you know, Lemonade, which is basically um, using some of the um, the insurance premiums um, towards charity, so they're signaling that they are a different mental model than what people are used to from an insurance company, and trying to get people to think about them as as somebody different. And um, likely, it's it's possible that brands can kind of use this moment in time to assess what they're currently doing and and signal that they're they're changing.
0: Yeah, that's cool. I, li- I like that. Uh, I like that premise. It, uh, and I see what you're talking about with the mental model. It's really just a lot of people talk about it in businesses in trying to provide a unique selling point or what, what makes you different from somebody else. And coming at it from your perspective and your approach, changing a mental model is is sort of somewhat similar in that way too, but sort of using a certain, you know, your, your world of uh, behavioral economics, like that framework, which gives you these kinds of, uh, allows you to ask, answer these kind of questions and, and give these different answers and come up with a company like that. I think that's really, really interesting. How do you, how do you apply that to an instantaneous world? Like say with say something like a brand experience where we've got people coming into a space or exhibiting something for the, for the first time and they're doing it in a very short period of time frame And I guess you haven't had a lot of opportunity in the past to test and learn and, and apply any learnings to optimize an experience how how do you think what's a better way for, for people like us to be able to try and get it right more often than we get it wrong um
1: yeah, it's, a, it's a great question um i think you hit on it a little bit to to think about kind of a testing and experimental mindset um most of the premise of behavioral economics is around not trusting our intuition and um, really that things are not as they always seem. Um, and so many times we make assumptions about what people do, what they want, um, and, and very frequently those are, are wrong. And it's only really with an experiment or a test that you can figure out that the counterfactual, right? If you just do something one way, you'll never find out what happens if you do it another way. Um, and it's yeah, yes. and I think sometimes we we get too scared, right? Will customers get confused? Will they not like it? What's the downside? And we forget the upside, right? That by going with the first thing you thought about, you're kind of a, you you're making an implicit assumption that this is the best thing, that this is the the maximum that you've hit it on the round one. Yep. <laughs> um, and and that's just yeah. uh, likely not true. And so um, you know, thinking about the stuff that. That you're doing and um, and the types of small experiences that are being created as as learning opportunities versus did you nail it um, seems seems much more practical and and on point and and some of that may be you know we we just did a um, uh, experiment with no small talk cards which is basically um, kind of one of the the insights on conversations is we mostly go to the lowest common denominator of conversation which is small talk. and reasonably, yeah. it's it's easy to do, um, and you can kind of connect with people at a surface level. But uh, our hypothesis was that um, it's not it's not good for relationships. Uh, if you really want to connect with somebody, talking about more vulnerable topics are are better. Um, and the other hypothesis was that it's very difficult for people to do that. You know, if I started this conversation and said hello, you know, what's your deepest fear? Um, it's, it's a little weird. <laughs> uh, and so our hypothesis was that we'd have to kind of help people so do this, that we'd have to, we'd have to give the social norm that this is not only permissible, but that's what's expected. Um, so we have these cards, we pass them out, we tell them uh, for the next 30 minutes, please use the cards, talk to your neighbor. Um, and what happens is that people use the cards and they, uh, they veer away from what's most comfortable, which is kind of, you know, our, our weather, our sports, our vacations, uh, and, and dive a lot deeper. Um, and so our experiment there was to figure out, you know, like, is this, uh, do people become more connected with these, with these cards? Um, and we found out, uh, over two different experiments, um, that yes, that diving deeper actually does help people. Um, A, they, they like it when it's with cards. Uh, they, they get very nervous and, and don't like it when we just say, Hey, talk about something vulnerable. <laughs> you know, they they yeah. we do need the crutch. Uh, we need the crutch of the cards to do it um and and so it's right. it's that type of experimental mindset that says you know we could be wrong, maybe the cards are overwhelming and weird and <laughs> in and of themselves um uh, but let's try it and and measure and see if uh see if we can create a better experience uh by trying something out of the norm.
0: yeah, that's cool, so I guess what I'm taking from that is you know data is important to take out the assumptions or that uh that one might have when putting together ideas and and I guess that test and learn pattern can be applied across a range of things, rather than having it uh, exist in a silo. Sounds that sounds to me. When I'm thinking about the kinds of things that um, that that we do, the kinds of uh, frameworks that we might try and work towards um, to try and get. I guess that mindset across all of the, all of the work over a period of time. Well, I mean, thinking thinking too just with. The work that you've done in in the past and what have been some of your most memorable projects that you've worked on or or maybe even some of the projects that you that sort of surprised you when you when you got involved and and challenged your assumptions on the topic as well i know you've worked with a a bunch of different brands in the technology world and and not for profits and all sorts of things so yeah what are some of the things that stand out for you so far uh
1: great question um we just completed an, an experiment um, with West Texas University, which is a university in, in the States, um, and um, a company, a tech company called Admit Hub. Um, and we were trying to help, um, in, in the US college is obviously very expensive, and um, there is financial aid available, but um, a lot of people, or two million people just don't take the aid, uh, which is surprising given it's free money. Um, and we completed an experiment and, um, found um, that by changing how we ask the question to get people to complete uh, or to submit their financial aid form, we could could increase the number of students uh, who applied for the aid. Now, um, this is very interesting because it's free money. So why would just changing how we ask the question uh, change the outcome? Um, but what happened is we what we did is reduce the perception of friction involved in in applying. So instead of saying you know do you want to fill out this very long application please uh, you know please click here to do it uh, here's a reminder when it's due by um, we said it's just it's just part of the process it's part of the process of applying for or um, going to this college is filling out this form. Um, and, and what that does is just change the mindset on, oh, do I do it? Do I not? When do I do it? Should I do it? Maybe I won't qualify. To, it's a lot of work in order to do it. And just said, okay, this is like the next step in the process. And I'm, I'm going to continue. Um, so we took away a decision that somebody had to make. And instead, we just kind of made it the path of least resistance to continue. Um and what I really yeah. like about that is it's, it's a small change. You know, when we sent out a text message and then we sent out one reminder, um, and if it was rolled out to all of the, the U.S., we'd have around 200,000 more applications um, from, from students, um, which is very small changes, wow. yeah. So I think, I think sometimes people rely too much on big strategies and big, you know, like um, kind of uh, big pushes when, when much of life is lived in the small details
0: um yeah right and that's a really great example i mean that's a a very small change and really costs nothing to implement it's just really thinking through how do we get rid of the exactly
1: yeah and and that's kind of going back to one of the the insights um of behavioral science in general It's, it's really about taking helping people take the path of least resistance um in ways that help them achieve achieve what they want to um and and um, and it, very small things can get in our way to prevent us from taking action. So
0: can... We're fickle we're creatures, aren't are we? <laughs> I said we're very yes. fickle creatures. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> um, one thing I, I read of yours as well, which I thought was a really interesting piece, was uh, Burning Man Festival because that's, for people who don't know Burning Man Festival, it's a, you know, it is a very well-known festival in the US and it's a, essentially a counterculture festival where uh, people are able to go and live out almost a utopian existence or an alternative existence as to how society operates. Could you tell us a little bit about your experience in Burning Man and, and and what you got out yeah, of that? Yeah,
1: for sure. So um, if you have not been to Burning Man, I, I highly suggest it. I think um, it may not be for most people. It may feel uh, like something you wouldn't do, but uh, in reality, there's not many things in life that are completely uh, flip most of the paradigms that we have on our head. Uh, Burning Man is, creates a, comp- a new city. Um, and um, the interesting thing about the city is that it's participatory, which means most people who attend contribute something. Um, and so you really couldn't imagine a place by which people could do more work for something. <laughs> uh, so, you know, mo- many times when we're creating events or activities, we want to have very small amounts of work that we require our attendees to do. Um, and the interesting thing about, bro well, there's many interesting things about Burning Man, but one of them is that um, really people kind of create, they create art, they create experiences, they create their themes, camps. Um, everyone who attends is is participating or participating uh, in the whole event. Um, so I think I think we can ask more pe- right. more things of participants um, and it will get them more ownership uh, and more involvement in the event. Um, so, so that's that's one thing about Burning Man is everybody who attends is part of it. Um,
0: and it's it's amazing how much effort people will go to in their own spare time. Well, obviously, these people are not being uh, paid or, or they're using their own money to create some of their their sculptures yeah. or their cars that they drive around in. It's all of it's all yeah, their it's, own back. Uh, it? it?
1: It's incredible. Uh, it really is. Um, and the other... Frame is is giving, so I think you know one principle that um, you know, of happiness is is not that necessarily uh, we are happy when we get more things or like you know consumerism will will make us uh, optimally happy. Um, we actually quite enjoy giving things to, to people, and, and Burning Man is uh, based on this principle where. Um, you know, the art that you're creating is made for people to experience it. The experiences different groups of people do; these camps do uh, is designed so people experience it. You actually have little, small marketers onto the on um, yelling for people to come and experience whatever they've built. It's it's all free, but you really, you know, you, no one gets any money for you experiencing yeah. their art. But but everybody really wants you to because it's it feels so good to to give. Um, and, and so I think that Burning Man has designed a lot of things from first principles of happiness, right, which is kind of meaning and purpose, uh, which is getting, everyone's creating something there, uh, or creating something gives us meaning and purpose, yeah. um, and happiness, which is, you know, a lot from giving to other people. Uh, and, and probably more events and things could could be designed from these types of first principles of of, of living.
0: Yeah, I mean, what, what is it about Burning Man, do you think, that has enabled such a strong following because from what i from what i know and i haven't been to burning man but one day i'll get it i'll get there what what is it about the culture that they've created do you think that has really drawn people in to to be to put their belief and to put their effort and and their own funds behind it do you think it is some of those things that you're talking about like purpose and and meaning and and happiness or is is it a void do you think in society that that is being filled which people don't get to play out in their normal lives or
1: all of that. I yeah, mean, you know, you have, uh, engineers at, at Google who then go to Burning Man and they are creators of art and, and where, and when would they have an opportunity to do this in, in another setting? And so, um, Burning Man creates the place and time for people to be a little bit more creative than the normal nine to five work that we do, um, has, and it, it creates yeah. a lot of opportunity for people to have different roles, whether, you know, um, I plan the opening ceremony for our, our theme camp, right. Where I'm in, in no world would I be doing that in an, in a normal uh, uh, scene and setting of planning an opening ceremony for a group of people to start off a week. Um, And it's quite entertaining and and I get a lot of joy from it. Um, And so people kind of really lean into the things that and create the roles for themselves. Nobody's giving, nobody gave me that role, right. It's there's, uh, you're creating the opportunity to try something out yourself, and uh, in a work environment yep. context, um, many times people give you the role, and you say, "Okay, I will do the role." <laughs> and uh, Ernie Man hacks that yep. uh, in, in. Hacks kind of the the mental model we have of work is that it could be enjoyable. We want to do it.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's cool. It's cool. I'm definitely definitely <laughs> interested to get there one day. Well, look, Chris, we're, we're pretty much um, on time. Out of time at the moment. Is there anything else you want to add? I mean, I'm just thinking anyone out there who's interested in behavioral economics or behavioral science who maybe hasn't hasn't looked at it or doesn't understand the value that it could have for for them as a person or for a brand or a business. What what, what is, what's what's um, maybe any misconceptions or anything that you think people would need to know about to sort of start that trail of, of understanding how it can be valuable. Um,
1: great question, so I, I think two things. One is um, really thinking about uh, if, you know, the, given the first point is the environment of decision-making influences our decisions more than we realize. Um, many times we feel like if we don't do, like people may feel like if you change the environment, you may be manipulating people or, or getting them to do something that different. Um, we, we instead find it offensive if somebody, you know, inaction is the same thing as action. Uh, if you aren't kind of changing the environment of decision-making, uh, and imagine that it's, it's, you know, in the U S unemployment forms are extremely long and hard. Uh, people could say, if you change it, you may be incorrectly forcing people to do something or not, but the reality is if you don't change it, uh, many people won't apply or get confused, because it's just so hard and long. And so inaction is many times the same as, as action. And, and we forget that. Um, uh, I think people, people forget that. And, and we should look at our environments uh, and think about how we, how we change them to serve our purposes. Um, and by our purposes, I mean, like, you know, how do you go home and change your refrigerator so you may not eat uh, eat the thing that uh, you don't want to eat, right? We have control of our environments in very uh, specific ways uh, from personal and professional. Um, and then the second thing is um, we we do online boot camps um, by which people can dip their toe into, um, into the field. And um, I'm obviously biased, but I think these are great practical ways to kind of uh, learn the principles and then try to apply them to your area of work.
0: Well, that's fantastic advice. And look, thank you very much for for coming on chat today, Kristen. Really appreciate it. And I think it's a really interesting field that you're in. And, um, you know, also personally interesting to myself being in the, in the work that we do. We, we do tend to try and apply these principles, uh, albeit in a less formal way than I think you're, you're going right down deep into these, into these behaviors and and changes and systems and processes. Um, and look, if anyone wants to find out more about Kristen, Um, and her work uh, you can go to irrationallabs.com and of course if you want to find out more about what we do here at sense head to sensegroup.com.au and also be sure to check some of the resources we're providing to help brands emerge from the crisis stronger than before so look stay safe stay connected and we'll see you next time on behind the experience
1: Behind the Experience is proudly brought to you by Sense Group, an independent experience design agency that mine the frontiers of creativity and technology to curate emotionally charged experiences that connect brands with
0: audiences in meaningful, lasting ways. To get in touch, check out the links in the show notes.